Hello and welcome to the Episodic Audiobooks. We are covering Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel, and we are on the very last episode of the podcast. We are not quite at the end, but uh, I need to spend some time recording the end of this book and going back and cleaning it up so the entire audiobook will be available to uh, buy, and uh, you can find out how it ends. Or you can always, like, jump into the uh, uh, the print book or the ebook. But don't worry, the book ends, or this ends at a kind of a fun spot where we cover the little two chapters, chapter 35 and 30, oh, sorry, 34 and 35. Uh, things get pretty heated up. So let's uh, find out what happens. If you are tuning in for the first time, I would highly recommend going back to episode one because lots has happened and trying to cover it all in this intro would be a bit. So, let's jump into it. Chapter 34, Darkness Amongst Light After weeks of trial, life was returning to normal. At least the illusion of it. Normal was relative. The savages and fleshers were far from what outsiders would consider normal. Spaulding was used to it, though. He could blend in with the rest of society at the butcher shop and soon-to-be funeral home. His whole life would have gone upside down if he hadn't taken a stand the previous night. He was a savage, and they did not let others dictate their fate. Spaulding was like his father, a man who put family first. He'd adapt to their best interest. He wouldn't slip up again. That does it, Jacob said on the other side of the desk. Congratulations, gentlemen. The property is yours. Excitement surged through him. He and Knox had just signed the papers in Jacob's office securing the land for the funeral home. Rising from the chair, he reached across the desk and shook Jacob's hand. Knox did the same. Thank you, Jacob. I can't believe you managed to get the owner to agree on the price, Spaulding said. You've worked wonders for us, Knox said. Thank you. Jacob took a slight bow. My pleasure. This is my work. I'm glad I could help some friends. We have a lot of work to do, Spaulding said. Knox nodded. Yes, there will be lots of renovations needed. Lilith and I will approve it with the town. We'll get going on those right away, Spaulding said. He was excited to start this new direction in his life. The butcher shop had done him well enough when the girls were growing up, but after the hurdle with Irene and learning of Billy's struggles, it was definitely time for a change. You two have yourselves a fantastic day, Jacob said. I'll see you later in the week, Spaulding, I'm sure. Likely, Spaulding waved goodbye. He and Knox left Jacob's office and strolled toward the butcher shop. Spaulding wasn't quite done for the day. Knox would likely go home. He rarely came into town. Knox didn't fit in there. Still, after all this time, the folks gave him a second glance due to his heavily scarred face. Rowley was small. Anything different was questioned. Thank you again, Spaulding, for working to launch this new endeavor, Knox said. I'm glad you brought me into the loop. We're partners. We take care of everyone at Rutherford Manor, Spaulding said. Transparency is key. I couldn't agree more, Knox said. The two men arrived at the butcher shop. A block over, there was a large gathering at the intersection. The mayor and Sheriff Jensen stood on top of some crates above the crowd. 
Knox and Spaulding stopped in front of the butcher shop door. They could hear the bickering of the crowd well enough without being in the middle of it. The shop door opened, and Billy stepped out. He nodded at the two. What's going on here? Spaulding asked. Sheriff Jensen gathered the town to discuss the missing person issue, Billy said while lighting a smoke. Spaulding did the same and puffed on it before saying, Missing persons? Well, I guess Maxwell. That's one. There's a second, Billy said. The three men watched Sheriff Jensen try to calm the crowd down. My son! came a wailing woman's voice. What happened to my son? My husband still can't be found. The familiar voice of Rose Connors rose from the throng. We're doing everything we can, Sheriff Jensen said. We are organizing search parties to find Samuel Wainwright. Spaulding squinted. The Wainwright boy? You two have anything to do with this? No, Knox said. We stay away from children, Billy said. This type of attention is exactly why we are working towards the funeral home. Everything with Mr. Sewell's protections, word spreads. Aye, I agree, Spaulding said. What do you suppose happened to the Wainwright boy? What happened to Father Isaac, Billy said. These were tough questions. No one had answers. Maxwell was just a fluke. His death simply happened to be poorly timed with the missing boy and Father Isaac. You two should stay low until this blows over, Spaulding said. Knox shrugged. We'll be careful. Make sure they aren't townsmen, Spaulding said quietly. We won't be making that mistake again, Billy said, finishing his cigarette. What do you make of this, Knox? Spaulding asked. Father Isaac's death was oddly similar to Alistair's. You're thinking the white hand? Knox asked. No. Again, I don't think they killed Alistair. Knox's nostrils flared. There was a sensitive subject. Spaulding had basically insulted Knox, the way he'd taken his vengeance for Alistair. He needed to be more careful. Even years on, Knox was the same emotionally unstable person he was when he was a child. Some things never change. Maybe it was, Spaulding corrected himself. Either way, there's too much mystery happening in the town of Rowley. I'd say let's leave it to the, the townsmen to figure out. As long as it stays away from Rutherford Manor, we're fine. I'll be heading back now, Knox took a bow. This is a celebratory day for us. When you're back, we'll share a drink. Spaulding raised his eyebrow. A drink? This is a big day. Knox smiled. At least the unscarred side of his face did. It was nice to see the man lighten up for a change. He was always serious. Knox must be excited about the funeral home. Yes, it seems like a suitable time to celebrate. I'll be sure to be done my work by then. Sounds wonderful, Spaulding said. The two men shook hands, and then Knox left to the back of the butcher shop to get his horse. Spaulding finished his cigarette while watching Sheriff Jensen try to control the crowd. They continually asked questions, talking over one another. Mayor was frazzled. The town was fearful. Rightfully so. Maxwell was a respected man, and so was Father Isaac. In the town's eyes, 
Two men and a boy were missing. Someone was killing, yet there was no connection. What did a dead priest and a missing boy have in common? What did it have to do with Alistair? Perhaps Knox was right. This wasn't a fight to be bothered with. Spaulding could just let the town deal with it. Eventually, Sheriff Jensen managed to calm the crowd, and they dissipated. Spaulding returned to the butcher shop to carry on with the day. The rest of the afternoon was quiet. No one wanted to get any meat. The missing boy was the talk of the town. The bars would be busy, Spaulding guessed. Billy left before Spaulding, letting him clean up the shop alone. Spaulding didn't mind. It was his routine. That was soon to change, though. He couldn't get the funeral home out of his mind. He would have a new working schedule. He'd be learning new skills, and there certainly would be a lot less blood around. Meat was getting old. A little less gore might do him some good. Spaulding closed up the shop and locked up a little later than usual. He'd taken extra time to organize some fresh product. The sun was setting. Now, he could finally go home to his family. They came first. No more temptress. No more drowning himself in liquor. If Penny wasn't feeling well, he'd respect that. He would understand that she was going through something he would never fully comprehend. He'd give her space and would find new ways to take care of his own needs. Ways that didn't involve his past lovers. His horse trotted along the street. Most of the town had cleared out at this hour. The street lamps had been lit, providing some light on the road. As he did every day, he passed Father Haywood's church just across the park. The lights were on and the doors were open. That was abnormal. He heard a distant shout. That, too, wasn't usual. All should be quiet at this time. He stopped for a moment to see if anyone else was nearby. No one. Spaulding was alone. More shouts came from the church. He knew he'd better investigate in case someone was in trouble. Spaulding steered his horse towards the church, trotting through the park and to the open doors. As he reached the staircase, the sound of shattering glass erupted inside. Something wasn't right. Spaulding leaped off his horse and hurried up the stairs through the foyer and into the main hall. At the end of the podium, Father Haywood was on the ground, holding a Bible and a cross. Be gone, devil! Father Haywood shouted. His eyes were wide. Blood ran down his forehead. In front of him was a brunette woman in a green dress. Spaulding recognized her, but it couldn't be. Ooh, came the sound of an owl close to the ceiling above. Always a damn owl. Hey, Spaulding called out while marching towards the podium. The woman turned around to face him. A long scar ran from the top of her brow down to her cheek. Her skin was pale, eyes bloodshot. Bags drooped from her lower eyelids. She held a dagger in one hand and a small idol of a skull with a bat wing in the other. Rowan? Spaulding asked, stopping midway down the aisle. Rowan's scowl turned into confusion. She looked over at Father Haywood on the ground, then back at Spaulding. I... Munat. She... Rowan grunted in pain, clutching her head. The owl soared down toward Father Haywood and Rowan. She managed to duck as the bird soared past them and out the entrance of the church. Spaulding barely dodged the sharp talons as the owl flew by. He got up. Rowan dashed through the side doorway leading directly outside. Rowan had a running start. He couldn't catch her. Only he and Father Haywood remained. Are you okay? Spaulding asked while hurrying up to Father Haywood. Father Haywood struggled to get himself up, holding his rosary and Bible in one hand. I'm fine, thank you. Spaulding, 
You saved me. Spaulding took his hand and pulled him up. What happened here? Something is wrong with Rowan. She came in here with a dagger and the owl. It moved with her like some sort of familiar. She just came in here and attacked you? Spaulding asked in disbelief. It seems so unlikely. He knew Rowan. Spaulding had known all the midwives for a long time. Hell, they were there during the birth of his daughters. I'm afraid so. I know we have our differences, but Rowan and her sisters have never been violent. This is the first time one of them has ever come here. I don't know why she attacked me. Did she say anything to you? No, she was babbling some gibberish about a Munat and a chosen bloodline. I have no idea. Perhaps she's responsible for what happened to Father Isaac, Spaulding said, connecting the pieces. It's possible that she's removing holy men, but there's no proof of any of this, Father Haywood said. Yeah, Spaulding said. Munat. He was positive he'd heard that name before. Penny had said it. He remembered it clearly now. Sheriff Jensen needs to know, Spaulding said. Yes, sir. I'm going to see him right away, Father Haywood said. What about your forehead? Spaulding asked. She didn't get me that bad. It's just a flesh wound. I'll be fine. Thank you again, Spaulding. I don't know how I can repay you, Father Haywood said. If there's anything I can do for you, you let me know. We'll work something out, Spaulding said. Right now, he couldn't care less. He was only concerned about Rowan. The midwives had always been friendly with Penny and the girls. Now, here Rowan was trying to murder a priest. Perhaps she was responsible for the Wainwright boy, or maybe this ran deeper and she killed Alistair. Speculation. Are you coming with me? Father Haywood asked. No, Spaulding said. Tell the sheriff to get my statement tomorrow. I'm going to visit the other midwives. They might be involved with this, Father Haywood said. I have a hunch they're not. Be careful, Spaulding, Father Haywood said. Thanks. Spaulding said. He had to get to Rachel and Elise. If they didn't know what Rowan was doing, they'd known soon. Rowan looked sick. She had a damn owl with her. Billy said that they were a bad omen. Spaulding liked to look at the evidence in a practical manner to form logical, rational conclusions, but there simply couldn't be any reason why Rowan was attacking a priest. This was something otherworldly. Chapter 35 Birthright Louise brushed the dirt from her dress. She had taken a heavy fall just now. Great Uncle Billy held his stick over his shoulder, watching her on the ground. The man wasn't showing any sympathy after winning their duel. Louise had a long way to go to learn how to fight. She'd gotten cocky when it came to Susie, Samuel, and even her own sister. She was gaining confidence in her ability. Great Uncle Billy defeated her every single time, shattering that ego. You are getting better, Billy said. Louise nodded. Thanks, she said. I still feel like I have a lot to learn. You do, Billy said. That feeling, it still hasn't gone away. It is always there. This seems to be the only thing that gives me focus. Billy smiled. That it does. The hunt is my ritual. It soon could be yours too. I think it is, Louise said. Her mind relapsed to the forest trances, the rabbit, and Samuel. She'd let the boy die. She had felt even less remorse for her choice the following day. 
If anything, she felt better. She never had to deal with his stupid face again. Lisa would spend more time with her. They would find a new secret spot. Playing would be fun again, like hide and seek. Although, chances were, Lisa would have a sour taste in her mouth for that game. We'll continue next week, Billy said. It's been a long day. That's fine, Louise said. Yeah, Billy said. Your father had to take care of some paperwork with Knox for the funeral home. That's exciting. It is for us, but the rest of the town, it's the opposite. How come? There was a disturbing word in Rowley today. What happened? Louise asked. The Wainwright boy, the one Lisa is fond of, is missing. Louise felt the back of her hair stand up. The town already knew. Sheriff Jensen was on the case. That couldn't be good. She contemplated telling Great Uncle Billy. He could probably take care of the body like he'd done with Maxwell. Louise also knew no one would find Samuel. She decided against telling him. Billy had enough to worry about already with Vivian and his curse. The man could use a break. I'm excited for next week, Louise said, changing the subject. I think the stuff you're teaching me is becoming pretty practical. Oh? Billy asked. How so? Just the way I handle people. Just being more cautious of them. Everyone's out for themselves, and I have to take care of myself and Lisa. Caution is wise. I'm glad you have learned this. You can never fully know who someone is inside. It doesn't matter how long you've known them for, Billy said. Is father an example? You've known him for a long time. We've developed a bond. I have a feeling I know your father better than he knows himself. That was strange. Louise wondered what it would be like to know someone that well. Maybe it was a type of bond gained over decades. There was something too aged, he thought. How bizarre would life get for her as the years went by? Fourteen had proven to be a nightmare. Great Uncle Billy and Louise walked back to Rutherford Manor. Truthfully, Louise could have kept going with the training. The less time she had to spend at home, the better. As the weeks went on, she was learning to deal with her new self. It wasn't easy. The ever-growing void. She was accepting of it, just as she accepted that she killed the rabbit and watched Samuel die. The void was a part of her and would never leave. You're back, Lisa said, sitting on the steps leading to the back entrance of the manor. Lisa had a frown painted on her face. She held her head up with one hand. Her other hand fiddled with a stick, gliding it against the blades of grass. She was mourning the loss of Samuel. Seeing Lisa pained Louise. She just wanted to make everything better for her. Time would heal her. Louise had to believe it. After all, time was making Louise stronger herself. Yeah, Louise said. We're done for the day. She did good, Great Uncle Billy said, stepping past Lisa. He entered Rutherford Manor, leaving the two girls alone. You sure spend a lot of time with Great Uncle Billy, Lisa said. But we're done now, Louise said. We can do something instead. That's okay, Lisa said. I think I'll help Mom with some of the chores. Louise nodded. I'm always here for you, you know, she said, especially after what happened. Lisa glanced back to see if Great Uncle Billy was there. No. You can't say that, Lisa whispered. I know, Louise said. I just want to make sure you're fine. I'm okay, Lisa said. I mean, I'm not. But 
I need some time, and I need to think about it. I'm blue. It doesn't feel real, you know? Louise sat down beside her sister and gave her a hug. I know. Believe me. The two sat together for the remainder of the afternoon while they waited for dinner. Louise just wanted to be a good sister. She wanted to prove to Lisa that she didn't need to chase boys for affection. Louise was always here. That's what sisters do, she thought. Lisa was a little quieter during dinner. Her silence wasn't enough to raise attention amongst the adults. Father wasn't home yet. The butcher shop and soon-to-be funeral home were keeping him busy. Great Aunt Vivian was in no better of a mood. Great Uncle Billy was the same. Mom complained about her headaches being stronger than normal and excused herself to the bedroom again. Great Aunt Lilith and Great Uncle Knox were the only ones who were in good spirits. They chatted about the funeral home. Supposedly, they had some land now. Great Aunt Lilith mentioned it'd be a great place for the girls to work when they were old enough. Lisa and Louise couldn't care less. The butcher shop and the funeral home were on the same level of bland. Plus, neither one of them could stop thinking about Samuel's death. Louise was glad, and Lisa was miserable. The two girls helped their great aunts clean up the dishes. Lisa was quick to excuse herself and prepare for bed. She rushed for her room and closed the door. Hopefully, Lisa would be over this boy soon. Samuel is just a dumb lesson for her. Someday, she would see that. For now, Louise could only watch and be there for her, kind of like how Great Uncle Billy was there for Louise. Eventually, once dusk had arrived, Louise joined her sister in the room. Louise crept in, being careful not to wake up her sister. She made it to her bed and tucked herself in, letting thoughts drift into dreams. Or she hoped. She rolled around in her bed. Time passed. She wasn't exactly sure how long she'd been lying there. The dreamlike thoughts were amplified from the usual evening reflections. Her mind kept wandering to strange places. Visions of the wailing rabbit. The snapping sound of Samuel's skull. His brain matter on the rocks. The forest whispering to her. Death. The winged clawed woman in the tattered green dress. Louise kept being lured to the trance. Each one felt like a dreamscape. A fluttering sound came from the window. Louise jumped from her bed. A gray owl landed gently on the window frame, perching on the wood. It stared into the room. Louise crept toward the animal. It wasn't scared or startled. The bird's eyes remained on her, not blinking. Great Uncle Billy said owls were a bad omen. They seemed to always be around when she had a trance. The powerful calling of death. Now, here it was, in her home. Louise. The familiar voice entered her mind. The voice from the forest. Her focus shifted to the trees behind the bird. Everything else, including the owl, blurred. The window was no longer there. Her entire body shot forward, pushing through the glass. It couldn't be real. The glass didn't break. The impossible motion projected her beyond the home and into the forest at great speed. There, on the outskirts of the woods, she spotted a woman in a green dress. Rowan. Her hair was covering most of her face. She was barefoot as the wind blew around her. The forest was dark, making it impossible to see much beyond Rowan. The woman turned away and began to walk deeper into the forest. The forest calls. Louise lost sensation of her body. Her limbs didn't respond. In fact, 
It didn't seem like they were there at all. She could feel herself levitating, bodiless. The tree trunks bent sideways, allowing Rowan and Louise to move past them. This had to be some sort of dream. After all, she had just projected through a window. Louise, are you aware of what you are? Louise wanted to say yes, but had no voice. She simply gravitated toward Rowan. Some senses returned. The blades of grass between her toes spiked. Then, nothing. The voice. It was so motherly, yet it wasn't Rowan's. It was as if Rowan was being guided to the voice as well. They were followers of the forest. Rowan continued to walk through the woods. The trees around her moved at strange, wave-like motions. The leaves blew in spirals. The ground undulated up and down as if it were water. Light began to shine through the dark cracks between the trees. Colors projected in rays along with the brightness. The waves of color began to swirl around the leaves as an entity of their own. Sprouting into a woman. Rowan's form began to dissolve as she continued to walk. Her legs, dress, hair, and body all crumbled into leaves blowing into the wind. Louise continued forward. The light began to disappear, and darkness began to take over. Death is not something to regret. It always leads me. Louise felt a rush of visuals assault her mind. Everything she had done, her earliest memories of her family, her sister, Maxwell, Samuel, everything. All the emotions that were experienced in these moments blasted her at once. The intensity was petrifying. Euphoria, excitement, despair, fear. She was all these things, oneness with her past and present, just as she had connected with the rabbit. Everything was... Bloodline true. I'm so proud of you. Louisa's thoughts melted. Her vision began to fade into red. Hearing vanished. She could only feel content oneness. The forest was her. Death was everywhere. So was life. It was one equilibrium of existence. She channeled it. She knew her calling. The joys she felt in childhood. The traumas. They were all just trials leading to this very moment. Her family, her sister, mom, and father were all pieces moving her toward the bigger picture. Rutherford Manor, Rowley, and everything else were simply stepping stones to get her here. This was her ultimatum. Everything was guiding her to her destiny. And that is a wrap for episode 17, the last episode of the podcast version for Fire, Pain, and Ruin, a Rutherford Manor novel. Thank you so much to everyone listening from beginning to end and enjoying uh, the story. Now, the full audiobook will be available once I have gone through and cleaned up the remaining chapters and the previous ones, and uh, it'll be available for purchase in its entirety. So again, thank you so much. Uh, if you just can't wait for me to finish the audiobook, you can always grab the ebook or print book off of Amazon to find out what the hell happens to Louise because, man, that was a trip for her and she's kind of getting loopy and Rowan or Munat, depending, or both, are merging and grabbing her. So how does she get out of this? What did uh, Rowan try to do with Father Haywood? And what, how will Spalding basically uh, connect all these pieces? 
Find out all of that in the grand conclusion of uh, Fire, Pain, and Ruin, where there are four more chapters in the audiobook and, of course, the book. So again, thank you so much for listening. Um, while I am working on finalizing Fire, Pain, and Ruin, there will be more trickled-in episodes um, as bonuses, such as the behind-the-scenes of the book, how it came to be, uh, more bonus interviews to get to know other authors, and we'll drop in a few short stories from Into the Macrocosm, so you can actually enjoy some little tidbit stories as one completion. Uh, And of course, you can always check out the Patreon, where there is a monthly new short story in written and audio format. So check it out, and until the next episode, take care.